0: Jonah chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, and he said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land.
1: We'll give the belt pack a try, hey? I've gained a bar of batteries by holding it in my pocket. So that's a good thing. We can do it. Uh, Keep your Bibles open. We're going to work our way through this prayer, this Song of Jonah. Uh, So it'll be good if you can follow as we do so. If you haven't got one, there are sermon outlines in the foyer. Feel free to grab one of those to follow along uh, or to take notes on. Uh, I love to read amazing stories of people who have survived against all the odds, uh, people who have gone through incredible experiences and somehow made it out the other side. Uh, One of my favourite stories is a story of a lady named Vesna Vulović. Vesna was flying over Czechoslovakia. Uh, It was still called that. It was 1972. When her plane exploded, Uh, amazingly, Vesna was found alive uh, amidst the wreckage. The uh, rescuers were astonished. She was the only survivor of that crash. Her plane had been at 10,160 metres when it exploded. So just, just try and think about that. That's 10 kilometres straight up. You know, Mount Everest plus another kilometre and a bit. That's how high it was. Now there was a bomb on the plane. It, it exploded and it literally tore to pieces and Vesna fell out. She reached speeds of over 200 kilometres an hour on the way down and to this day and probably for a long time to come holds a Guinness World Record for falling from the highest and surviving. (laughs) I don't think anyone's going to go out and beat that. Uh, 27 days she was in a coma in hospital, 16 months she stayed in hospital but at the end was able to walk out. I mean that is an amazing story, isn't it? Astonishing, she walked out of hospital and lived a, a, a normal life afterwards. Well, what about this story? A story about a man uh, who was thrown into the ocean in the midst of a colossal storm. He was left for dead. The boat he was on, it couldn't turn back. It was too dangerous. They couldn't go and pick him up. And then of all things, you know, as if that wasn't bad enough, he gets swallowed by a fish. I mean, talk, talk about frying pan into the fire. Like, it's an, it's an incredible story. Uh, of course, we're talking about Jonah. We're talking about God's prophet. It is, a, it is a remarkable story. I mean, it's memorable. It makes it into every kid's Bible because it's just so interesting. Did it happen? It, you know, is it possible? How could someone survive inside a fish for three days? Could that even happen? Well, of course it can. Uh, I mean, this is God at work here. Uh, And if you read the Bible, it's not even the craziest thing God's ever done. (laughs) But that's not the point of the story, is it? The point of the story isn't the fact that Jonah could survive in a fish for three days. The point is what God is doing for Jonah in the fish. The point is that God is still working on Jonah and that finally (laughs) Jonah is beginning to get it. And we see that reflected in his prayer here in Jonah chapter 2. Last week, if you were here, we saw how uh, God's ever-present mercy is with his people and it is always drawing his people back to himself. Well, what we see this week is how that works, uh, where it draws people from and how God actually achieves that. We have a prayer, we have a song here in chapter 2 that essentially celebrates how good God's grace is how rich and deep and wonderful that grace is. So Jonah is using his experience here to teach us of God. Not to tell us what he went through, but to point us back at God and tell us great things about him. So we're going to jump into this psalm and learn from him. You might look at Jonah's prayer here in chapter 2 and think, well, I don't really pray like that. You know, I don't pray like that when I've got time. I don't pray like that, let alone when I'm in the belly of a fish. But what Jonah's doing here is praying like people in his day prayed. If you read through his prayer here, you'll see uh, that many kinds of things that he says are echoed in the Psalms. You know, Jonah's praying like people in his day prayed. And like a Psalm, the opening of his prayer is essentially a summary uh, of what he's going to be talking about. Let me read verses 1 and 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. That's a summary, isn't it? Fish, pray, heard. But let's unpack that just a bit. Think about Jonah's situation here. Uh, Melinda alluded to it in the kids talk. This is a grim situation to find yourself in. (laughs) He is overboard in the middle of the ocean in a huge and terrible storm. There is absolutely no chance of survival here. Humanly speaking, it is impossible. I mean, from the way he describes it, you, you, you start to understand just how awful this was. There's wind shrieking and howling around him. The water seethes as far as the eye can see. The waves roar and the sound is deafening. The clouds loom heavy overhead, spray fills the air, the breakers are sweeping back and forth and Jonah is tossed about from wave to trough, back and forth, over and under, choking, wrestling for breath, struggling and weakening. Verse 3, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Jonah is drowning. Uh, Israelites, they weren't mariners. It wasn't a seafaring nation. They had uh, a fear of the sea, probably not experienced swimmers. It uh, doesn't matter, even if he was. This is not a place anyone can survive in for long. Jonah is, is succumbing to this storm. It crashes over him and silence falls as he sinks beneath the surface and darkness envelops him. Verse 4, I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. As Joseph, uh, Jonah sorry, sinks below the surface, he, he casts his mind to the temple, uh, to the place of security and hope that was so precious to him, knowing that, physically speaking, there is little chance of him ever seeing it again. Verse 5, The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Jonah is sinking. He is going down deeper and deeper into the ocean. He's reaching its very depth. The start of verse 6, To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. Jonah is likening his experience here to, to sinking into the underworld to sinking into to Sheol to the grave, a place of darkness and a place of death. You know, he pictures that he, he's, he's going down into the ocean but essentially he's going down into a grave and the closer he gets, the more he can feel the gates of that shutting behind him, trapping him in forever. This is the end. That's it. Now obviously Jonah is describing his physical situation here. Uh, he, he fills his prayer with ocean and water and storm sort of words. But we also get a strong sense that this is a description of his spiritual status as well. See, a lot of this imagery, a lot of these words he uses, they're actually borrowed from a whole stack of other psalms. And all of those psalms are not describing physical calamities but spiritual despair. And see, the point there is very important for us to notice Physically, Jonah is dying. Physically, he is out of sight and lost. But so too spiritually. His problem isn't just physical. There is spiritual danger and darkness here as well. Spiritually, this is a desperate place for him. Our running prophet that we saw last week is utterly lost and in despair. In 1987, Uh, Jessica McClure, an 18-month-old little girl in the States, was playing in her parents' backyard. Some of you may remember uh, this being on TV. Her mother, in a a short moment of inattention, looked away and Jessica fell down a well that was in their backyard, 6.7 metres deep, and she went straight to the bottom. And she was trapped. Uh, The casing of the well was only 20 centimetres diameter, So it's not like anyone could get down to her, nor could they easily pull her back up because she was wedged in awkwardly. It would cause uh, great injury. And so she was trapped in the damp, in the dark and in the gloom with her her parents frantically above her trying to work out what to do. Well, the police came, the fire brigade came and they thought up a plan. Their plan was we will dig a shaft next to the well, just a couple of metres away, go straight down And then go across and intersect the well and get her out from the bottom. A good plan. Uh, The town actually happened to have a lot of miners there who were on holiday or out of work, so lots of experienced men to do this. They anticipated that it would only take a couple of hours to get her free. Until that is, they struck stone and found that miners don't bring their tools home from work, so they had no useful tools. But still they worked away. Uh, They worked and every half an hour, every 40 minutes paused just to hear if Jessica was alive and the strains of Winnie the Pooh came floating back up the the well. She was still there. And so they drilled and they struggled and they sweated until 45 hours later they had their tunnel complete. But of course there was another issue they didn't have time to drill, you know, a nice big tunnel where you could just, you know, drive a truck in and get her out. It was tiny. Who would go down? Well, paramedic Robert O'Donnell volunteered. He literally squeezed himself into this tunnel, crawled down, crawled across, inching his way closer and closer to Jessica. Finally, he reached her. She was wedged in at such an awkward angle he had to physically wrestle her out. And then with another rescuer, inch their way back out of the tunnel and bring her to the surface. And 58 hours after having fallen in, Jessica McClure came back to the surface, cold, battered, bruised, but alive. It's it's an incredible rescue story, isn't it? And and, and made possible only by these brave men who are willing to go down into that tunnel to go down into that darkness and bring that little girl up. That is exactly what God was willing to do for Jonah. Look at the end of verse 6. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. See, Jonah is, Jonah is drifting down into a watery grave that the bars uh, of the grave are closing up behind him. But God reaches down and snatches Jonah out, takes a hold of him, and pulls him back. Just like Jessica's rescuers, God went down into that darkness, reached down into that despair, into that destruction and pulled Jonah back out. And that's why Jonah's prayer is a celebration. He is celebrating this wonderful rescue of God. Uh, He's reminded in it just how great God's grace is and how astonishing and far the reach of that grace is. That could go even even into his despair, even into his gloom, and pull him back out. We uh, opened our service with Psalm 107, that, that psalm of celebration of rescue that God does. And this is, this is what it describes later in that psalm. Some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains, for they had rebelled against the words of God. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness in the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. That's Jonah's story, isn't it? That's exactly what God did for Jonah. That's what he's celebrating here. God rescues by his amazing grace. He rescues and there are none beyond that rescue. It doesn't matter how far gone a person seems, where there is life, there is hope that God can step in and intervene. Even for Jonah, the the rebellious running prophet who had literally turned his back on God and gone the other way, even for him, almost descending into the very depths of the grave, God's wonderful and radical and powerful grace can still act on him. See, God's grace is for the rebel. God's grace is for the sinner God's grace is for those who are running. It's for the repeat offender. It's for the unworthy. God's grace dwarfs what we could possibly imagine of it. Just like Mount Everest to a child's sandcastle, it is so huge, so enormous, and so wonderful. And that grace is given freely, fully, completely to all of his children. It is offered freely to all who would receive it. Know that grace. Know that that is the sort of grace God shows you, each of you. That is the sort of grace that he has lavished on you and celebrate it like Jonah. Because until you understand how good that grace is, you will never experience the fullness of what it means to be his child. You'll forever be trapped in a deficient, a joyless, a fearful Christianity. God's grace is enough. That's what Jonah's celebrating here. God's grace is enough. It's enough for you in your failings. It's enough for you in your frailty. It's enough for you in your repeat offending, whether it is past or present or future. Grace is enough. Grace rescues, grace lifts up. It doesn't matter how trapped, how helpless, how unworthy you are. There is still grace. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, God's grace in Christ enters your darkness. It comes into your despair and it is powerful to raise you back up. See, God doesn't kind of make grace and then step back and leave it to you. He doesn't you know, throw it at you and say, you know, make use of it whenever you feel like it. God's grace comes close. God's grace comes to you. Last week we saw that none of us are beyond God's presence. Well, we see this week that also none of us are beyond God's grace. It reaches to the very gates of hell. It snatches out the unworthy. It gifts them grace and raises them up. And it is grace for you and for me. God's grace lifts Jonah up here. But it's now that we realise something quite remarkable about this story. So we often look at Jonah and we think, well, Jonah's saved when he's spat out on the beach. You know, that's that's kind of when his story takes the positive turn. But actually what Jonah's celebrating here is, is quite different. Jonah's celebrating the fish. He's he's celebrating being inside a fish. I mean, remarkable in itself. But what he's telling us is that that fish is God's salvation. That that fish is God's rescue of him. It's not a means of punishment. The fish is a means of rescue and of grace. And what's so important about that is it teaches us how God's grace works. It teaches us that grace means life through death. Grace means life through death. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about when he picks up this story in Matthew chapter 12. Uh, the Pharisees have come to Jesus. They're, they're asking for a sign that he'll prove himself. Uh, and he says, remember Jonah. <laughs> I think strange thing to say. But this is what Jesus says. He says, for as Jonah was three days in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man, that is Jesus, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus is saying, history is going to repeat itself, (laughs) but in a far better, a far bigger way. He's saying, I am the better Jonah. I am here so that life will come through death. But this time, not just life for the one who goes through that experience, not just life for Jesus, but life for everyone. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 2. In Christ, God raised us up. Life is ours through him. Life is ours through death. Not not the death of a fish, not the death of drowning, but through the cross, through Jesus' death. That is grace for us. That is life through death. That is forgiveness for you and me. And it is life again and not just earthly life but life eternal. Why? (laughs) Why did God do that? Why did God do it for us? Why does God do it for Jonah? Well, come with me to verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple as Jonah was was drawing ever closer to death, he remembered God, he cried out to God. And God heard him. Jonah's words reached the temple, the place where God lives, and God hears. And we see something so beautiful, so amazing here. You know remember, remember what we saw last week? Three times it was repeated. Jonah was running from God, literally from God's presence. We saw it didn't happen, it couldn't work. But here we get even greater confirmation of that. Because Jonah's words reach God. They, they, they make their way to his presence, to his temple. God is there, God is here. Even at death's door, God hears. God is present. And his presence is open to Jonah by grace. But still, why? Why does God hear? Why does God save? Well, Jonah says in the next, very next verse, why? Look at verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. When you read through this, this passage, it seems like a strange verse. You know, Jonah's talking his experience. He's talking about what he's gone through, what he's uh, feeling. And now this breaks the flow because he goes from his experience to teaching, to telling us what to do. It seems odd but it's really important. It's actually a key verse here because Jonah is saying, look at my experience, pay attention and learn. There are two paths ahead of you. Two paths and they are exclusive paths. Down one are idols. Down the other is love. I know the word there is grace, but it literally is translated steadfast love. It is such an important word to describe God's attitude to his people. One path idols, the other steadfast love. And Jonah is saying those paths are mutually exclusive. You can't walk a middle road, you can't uh, have a bit of both, it is either or. Saying yes to one is saying no to the other. It is either idols or love. We're not used to having choices put to us like that. We like to have a bit of everything. Uh, We like to to be able to have both and have it all. And yet in some ways, we have to make lots of choices like that choice, an either-or choice, a choice that's going to limit our future choice. Uh, Take, for example, students at college. Uh, Students know, you know, if you in college choose arts, and literature subjects, you are closing yourself off from doing science at uni because you haven't got the right prerequisites. Uh, To do some things opens certain doors and closes other doors. That's why college students are so stressed. It's because they also don't realise that there's always other ways to work around the system, you find out later down the track. Parents know this. Uh, Parents know having kids is a choice. Down this path lies kids. Down this path lies holidays. Meals out, money, time, sleep. <laughs> we could go on. <laughs> and yet we still choose it. We, we know that choice. We try to fight it. It doesn't work. <laughs> see, our choices limit us. Choosing to go down one road limits us from going down the other and so too it is here. That's what Jonah wants us to see so clearly. It is either idols or God. You cannot have both. You cannot cling to idols and have God as well. If you choose idols, as he says, you forfeit the steadfast love that could be yours. It is either useless, man-made lumps of wood or rich, always, steadfast, forever love. A love that saves. See, that's, that's what idols can't do, is it? isn't it? it? I- idols can't save. Idols can't begin to offer what God does. Uh, idols, by their very nature, they're man-made. You can only get out of an idol what you've put into it. Nothing more. It, it can't add anything to you. Now you might be thinking, well, why bother talking about idols? I mean, this is you know two thousand odd years later. We're sophisticated. <laughs> we're, we're modern. We're not pagans. We don't have any idols. Well, look again. See, idols aren't just wood or or stone or or metal figurines. Now an idol is anything that you lavish your affection on in the hope that it will rescue you or or, or lift you up or or save you in some sense. So your your holidays can be an idol if you look to them to save you from your mundane, normal life. Your body can be an idol if you look to it to save you from self-loathing, from disappointment. Uh, your family can be an idol uh, if you look to them to save you from having to work on yourself. Your work can be an idol if you look to it to save you from aimlessness or purposelessness. And we could go on. Actually, anything can be an idol if we are looking for, to it for rescue. Anything we invest our time in, anything we invest our money and our love into, in the hope that it will bring us out of what we fear, that's an idol. And we have plenty of them. But see, the problem with our idols is they cannot do what we want them to do. They cannot save us. At best, an idol only has what we invest into it. It is unable to lift us up out of our despair. And when that crunch time comes, when that crisis strikes, they will fail you. Guaranteed. They will let you down and you will despise them. Is that what you want? Well, we have the hope of saving steadfast love, a love that rescues, a love that is wider and higher and longer and deeper, a love that surpasses knowledge, that, that fills to overflowing, a love that never forsakes. See your idols will, will follow you into the pit, but they will have no power there to raise you up. I mean, it's like standing in a bucket and trying to pick yourself up. It doesn't work. That's all your idols are. But love can pick you up. Steadfast love can raise you up because it is saving love that enters into your darkness, that gives itself up so that you can be raised up. Jesus, love personified came into darkness, came into our despair and lifted us up so we could be saved and have life. He entered our prison, he broke its bars, he shattered the chains that held us and he freed us. Forsake your idols before they forsake you and run to this gracious and steadfast love. A love that will accept you now, and a love that will accept you always. A love that saves, a love that lifts, and a love that never leaves. But there's one more thing we have to see from Jonah this morning, and that is that not only does gracious love not leave us where we were, it doesn't leave us as we were either. Look at verse 9. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Isn't Jonah a new man? <laughs> Isn't that a remarkable thing to read from this prophet? Uh, you know, just last week he was running, he was rebellious, he was scared, he was disobedient. He's different. He's changed. Uh, now he's thanking God, now he's praising God, he's vowing, he's sacrificing. Ironically, that's what the sailors were doing last chapter, uh, pagan sailors got it, Jonah it took a fish and a storm and all that other stuff but he's there, he's there, he's worked it out and see that's what grace does. Not only does grace save but grace transforms, grace changes, grace makes us new. Uh, every few months there's another trashy makeover show on TV, I don't have to name them, you know what they are, you watch them on the weekends I'm sure uh, and on these shows, they go out and usually in London for some reason. Never been there, maybe it's that sort of place. Uh, but they go out and they find the most outrageous-looking people you will ever see, uh, heavily overmade, bizarre style. You know, I'm colourblind, but they look weird. You know, they've got no excuse. Uh, and what they do is they give them a makeover. They, they go to work on them, new clothes, new haircuts, new makeup, new everything. They completely do them over. Uh, in an attempt to make them look, if not good, well, at least normal. <laughs> I know, it's subjective, but you know. <laughs> and then off they go. That's it. They leave them. But sometimes what they do is, after a few months, they go back. They, they go and revisit this person to see how they're going. And inevitably the same thing has always happened. They've gone back. <laughs> it's insane. I mean... I don't know, I don't understand it. If not entirely, at least partially, they've gone back to what they used to be. Why? Well, it's because changing someone's appearance doesn't change who they are. Changing the externals, it doesn't deal with their insecurities, it doesn't deal with their their misaligned loves, with their faults. It cannot change that. And it never does. But grace can. And grace does. It doesn't just change our appearance. It doesn't just change what we do. It changes us. It comes into our heart and remakes us, reworks us. See, God's rescue here, it's not just external, it's not a physical rescue only. It is deep, it is spiritual, and it's eternal. When you encounter God's grace in all its power, all its wonder, you cannot come away the same person. It will make you new. And it will change you remarkably. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, that is, has met God's grace in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So we are not who we were. Just like Jonah passing through the sea, passing through the fish, we in Christ have passed through death into life and we have come out new. We're not who we were. We're a completely different person, a new creation. And as new people, called then to live a new life, this is what it looks like Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, in light of God's mercy, in God, light of what God's done, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. We have a new life and that's where it's going. Giving ourselves gladly, wholly to God to serve him with all that we are. Uh, Does that mean you're not going to sin anymore? No, (laughs) I'm sorry. It doesn't work like that. I mean, look at Jonah. Jonah. Uh, He's got this new life, he's he's being reformed but as we're going to see over the next weeks, it's a slow process. It doesn't happen overnight completely. Uh, In fact, the the, the narrator here records uh, the fish obeying God. The end of chapter 1, the end of chapter 2, God speaks, the fish obeys. We're told that because it's such a contrast to Jonah. (laughs) Who doesn't? See, the, the, the fish is a better obeyer than Jonah is. And yet God's working on Jonah. He's putting away that old self. He's making him new. This is what the new life looks like. Remember what Paul says in Romans 7. He's spoken of the new life in Romans 6. And he says, this is our experience of it. He says, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. See, grace makes us new. It makes us a different person. But it takes time for us to grow into that. It takes time for us to learn it. But we are new. And that's the key. We are new. That has happened once and for all in Jesus. We are not who we used to be. And that is our hope in fighting that old self. It's our hope in living this new life. See, though our body, though our mind longs for what we used to be, though it drags us back, though we're weak to resist easily giving in, That is our hope. We are not who we used to be. We can fight. We can resist. We can say no. Our struggle is not hopeless. Our old self is dead. Sure, it clings on, but it's beaten. Grace has made us alive. It has made us new. It teaches us to love what is right and to hate what is wrong. It gives us all we need to resist our old self and win this fight. So fight it with hope. Don't don't resign yourself to, to always going back to your old ways, to, to being stuck in those patterns. Your old self can be beaten. It can be overcome in God and in His grace. So fight the fight. Give yourself to him, say no to sin, and live for him. For remember this: salvation comes from the Lord. Grace comes from God. Grace that lifts us up. Grace that brings us close. Grace that makes us new. And as we'll see next week, grace that sends us out. But you'll have to come back next week.